Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. As I mentioned, we're beginning a series, Isaiah 53, God with us celebrating Advent together. The title of today's message is An Unlikely Messiah. Now, during this Christmas season, we want to remember the reason for the season, as we hear said sometimes, and behold Jesus through the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Today, we're looking at verses one through three. I'm reading out of the ESV. Isaiah the prophet writes, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Let's pray. Father, we welcome you to speak to our hearts through your word. I pray as I, as I preach Paul called the foolishness of preaching, the simplicity of preaching. I pray that you'd breathe on it, your breath of life, and let your spirit move through uh, the preaching and the hearing of your word to bear fruit in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this book of Isaiah, written by Isaiah the prophet, was written 800 years before Christ, and it's almost as if he's looking at the life of Christ in the present time as he writes this chapter, Isaiah 53. This is a prophetic book obviously, Isaiah the prophet. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for prophet literally means to boil up like a fountain, a forth telling. And, and that's really what's happening in Isaiah by the Holy Spirit. He's boiling up like a fountain and he's, you know, out of him is flowing this, this water sort of of life of the word of God. Uh, and it's foretelling the, the coming Messiah. It's foretelling of Christ. And this prophetic book also calls uh, Israel to repentance and foretold destruction, which actually came to pass if they would not repent. And this book also, as mentioned here in Isaiah 53, foretells of the Messiah that would come and deliver Israel. And this chapter 53 is a, is a beloved chapter. Um, and it's a, it's a chapter we wanted to really uh, take a, a closer look at here during this Advent Christmas season. As we continue to look at Isaiah 53, I want to go backwards a little bit to Isaiah 52, which sort of sets up chapter 53 as Isaiah prophesies this. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. So the prophet there in chapter 52 foretells the suffering and the enormous fame that will, be, that will mark the coming of the Messiah to Israel, the, the deliverer that's going to come and, and rescue Israel. And in spite of the widespread fame that the prophet foresees that the Messiah is going to have, he also foresees and foretells a widespread rejection. And he marvels that many people are going to reject 
their own Messiah. He seems to be shocked by it. And that's, that's how he begins Isaiah 53. He says, who has believed what he has heard from us? It's like he breaks off his thoughts from chapter 52, you know, verses uh, 13 through 15 about the world famous savior. And he kind of pauses and goes, and nobody's going to believe it. As a matter of fact, people will be so unbelieving that they're literally going to reject their own Messiah. Meaning of those who hear scarcely out of one out of a hundred is going to believe that their Messiah has come. Reminds me of the old joke of the guy who was stuck in a flood. You remember that kind of joke, but also sort of a life principle. The guy stuck in a flood on his roof and, and a boat comes along and says, uh, hey, we're here to rescue you. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And then, you know, a helicopter comes along. Hey, uh, we're here to rescue you. Grab the ladder. No, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And it's like all these, these means of rescue come along. And he rejects it because I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And then, of course, the guy dies and he stands before God. And, and uh, he, he says, well, why didn't you rescue me? I was trusting in you. <laughs> and God says, well, I sent, you, I sent the helicopter in the boat, right? He rejected his own salvation. Uh, he didn't believe, it, it didn't come in a way that he was expecting, so he rejected it. And uh, that, that's really what's happening here in Israel. Uh, even the keepers of the law of Moses, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders rejected, many of them, most of them rejected their own Messiah to the point where they killed him. It's like a dying rich man who rejects his medicine because it's given to him in a Taco Bell cup instead of expensive china. It's like Naaman the Syrian in the Old Testament, the military general who had leprosy who at first refused to wash in the dirty Jordan River because it was filthy. Naaman didn't do dirty, and his salvation came in a package he didn't like, and eventually he obeyed. Uh, good thing for him, because that's, that was his means of, of healing. Isaiah says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So because Jesus would be this unlikely Messiah, he would come in this sort of unlikely package, the prophet is acknowledging that it's gonna take help from the Lord to see him for who he is because he's coming in such an unusual way. Add our blindness to spiritual things and we have a big problem. To see Jesus for who he is is going to require a miracle because of our blindness. And this is why zealots in the New Testament often didn't embrace Jesus. You know what zealots were? Zealots were those group, that group of political activists who lived in his day who would not pay taxes and would use violence whenever necessary and possible to sort of stick it to the Romans. And they expected a military Messiah. So they struggled with this idea of a humble Messiah who would, who would uh, give himself over to the will of his enemies. We all need help. We all need grace to see Jesus for who he is. We need to ask Jesus to help us see him, who he is, and what he's done and help to understand the gospel of grace, which is absolutely paradoxical. It's kingdom upside down. It's, it's counterintuitive. Uh, and yet it is our way of salvation. But we need help to see it. Who has believed what he's heard? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who, who can see it, he's saying? Who can understand it? Not many. Except by grace alone. Verse two, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. It's almost like the prophet sort of 
you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit is literally watching Jesus grow with this prophetic vision he has of the coming Messiah. He's looking into the future and he's like watching Jesus grow and watching sort of the, the nature of his life. So Isaiah's telling us that this unlikely Messiah came or would come humbly in every way, even his physical body, his physical appearance. Everybody expected a marketable Messiah, sort of a, like Saul was in the Old Testament, you know, King Saul who preceded David, but had a wicked heart. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He, you know, he was a, he was a Hollywood star. People expected a marketable Messiah, somebody head and shoulders above everyone else with that handsome face, somebody they could put on a poster. They wanted Jesus to look like Brad Pitt, but Jesus was an average looking guy. Brad Pitt was handsomer than Jesus. It says, like a root out of dry ground. What does that mean? It's a picture of the Messiah coming from humble circumstances. Fruitful plants are not supposed to grow out of barren ground or, uh, or deserts. When it does, it appears very frail and tender, easily breakable. Nobody expects anything of it. Jesus was sort of the, the David of the New Testament. Do you remember when Samuel the prophet came to David's house? He, he picked every one of David's brothers before David and, and everybody else did too. And, and finally Samuel's like, you got anybody else? Because the Lord kept saying to Samuel's heart, this is not the one, this is not the one. And Jesse, the dad's like, well, yeah, we got this little guy, just the runt of the litter. He's out, he's not even in the house. He's not even here, go get him. Turns out that was the one. He was the one that, that God chose, the passed over one, the runt of the litter the one that wasn't as appealing on the outside to, to look at. Jesus is the truer and better David. He is our David. He is our king. Here's some ways that Jesus came in humility, like a root out of dry ground, his physical body. He wasn't going to grace the cover of GQ magazine. His birth was surrounded by humble circumstances. Jesus wasn't born of high estate or high esteem. You know, wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger next to animals. His family was humble. Jesus was the son of a carpenter, not the son of some teacher of the law or you know, some uh, royalty, uh, you know, a, a physician, uh, you know, somebody that might be, have a higher place in society. He was a, a blue collar worker's son, a carpenter's son. And further in Jesus' lineage, as part of his ancestry, is mentioned Rahab the prostitute. Love that. God just shows how the, the degree to which he redeems lives. Rahab the prostitute, the one that, that kept, that worked and helped the spies that came into Jericho from Israel, ended up sort of becoming an Israelite. And uh, she's, she's one of Jesus' ancestors. So his family was like a root out of dry ground. It was of humble estate. The town he was born in, Nazareth. Nazareth was... Uh, it was a place nobody expected anything good to come out of. I mean, they actually would say, it was a saying, can anything good come, come out of Nazareth? You know, when, when the religious leaders were discussing whether Jesus was the Messiah, somebody said that. Well, where's he from? Nazareth. Well, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, I grew up in a small town in western, uh, I'm sorry, eastern New York near Albany, the capital of New York. Uh, small town outside of the Albany area. And we had this, uh, our bus route went up this hill called Rickard Hill. And Rickard Hill was, it was the sticks. It was the rednecks. It was the, you know, it was the woods. And 
you know, nobody, nobody expected the, the, you know, the starting quarterback on the football team to come from Rickard Hill. You know, Jesus grew up on Rickard Hill. He was an unlikely Messiah, a humble physical appearance, a humble humility around his birth, humility, humble circumstances in his family, humble circumstances with literally the place he was born and raised. And as Jesus grew and went into ministry and chose his disciples, he carried on this unlikeliness in the unlikely people he used to establish his kingdom and be the, the first great leaders and apostles of his church. Like a root out of dry ground is a picture of the church rising from weak sinners. Peter was a, a cursing fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. They were, some, they were like the collaborators that were working with the Romans. Jesus redeemed him. How about us? How about you and me? Ever feel disqualified? Feel like maybe God got the wrong guy? God got the wrong gal? Like a root out of dry ground. It's a picture of Jesus and it's a picture of his church rising out of the lives and the, the context, the community of weak sinners. So if you're one of God's people, welcome to the fellowship of the weak. Welcome to the fellowship of the unlikely. God often works this way. In fact, I heard a story in 2003 when I was in China uh, of an amazing thing that was happening there. You know, in China, at the time at least, I think they still have this, they have this, this one policy. You go around China and there's a picture, you know, big billboards uh, of, uh, you know, of a man or a government official holding a one up, a kind of reminder, you can only have one child, and oftentimes, uh, if a woman gets pregnant because they want to sort of carry on their family name through a son, if it's not a boy, they'll find out the sex of the child. If it's not a boy, often they will abort the, the child, uh, the girl. So guess who God is using in China? Little girls. I heard of one little girl who's written, who'd written some like uh, 400 hymns, 400 songs, that many of those were being sung by the Chinese underground church. Um, I heard of another little girl who started somewhere around 30 churches. Now, I don't know if you know what an average number of churches is for a, you know, a, a little girl to start, but 30 is above average for a little girl to start. And they, they arrest her often, and at the time they would arrest her, and she would shame the guards. She would look through the bars of the jail, and she would say to the guard, guard, I know you hate yourself for what you're doing, but I don't hate you, I forgive you. Jesus loves you, and I love you. God's using this little girl, like a root out of dry ground, right? Out of these horrendous circumstances. God is raising up little girls for his glory in China. All of this is for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human, no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, if, if, if God uses weak things, foolish things, roots out of dry grounds, then who gets the glory? Not 
us, he does. It's, we can't boast. It's, it's, we boast in him. It's for his glory. God designed the unattractive, ordinary thing that marked Jesus' life, that marks his people. And this runs counter to the way our society thinks, counter to what our culture exalts and pursues. We're obsessed with riches, beauty, staying young, power, position. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the strong, like a root out of dry ground. Question for you, how often are we fighting God when we war against God's humble design in our lives? Our houses, I need a bigger house, or I need to be in a better neighborhood. Our jobs, I hate my job, I'd, I'd be happier if I had another job, I, I hate my life. Our cars, I don't like my car, I need something bigger and better, more sleek, I need something that, you know, gives me a little more reputation. I need a Hummer, I need a BMW, I need a, I need a Dodge Ram. Our physical appearance or our physical body. I wanna look like Sandra Bullock or Chris Hemsworth. Now, you know, I know I, know I kinda do. Just, just a little, just a little bit. Our income. I need more money for more things. Our domain of influence. I want more power, I want more position. Same, First Timothy 6.6. 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What's your dry ground that you're struggling with? Just like it was God's will, the design in Jesus' life, it is God's will and yours as well. I want you to trust him. I want, I want to encourage you to trust him with your humble designs, your humble circumstances. Because just like God brought his purposes through the life of Christ in his circumstances, he can and will bring out about his purposes in your life, in your humble circumstances. Verse three, and our final verse. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. In his life, Jesus would know many sorrows. You might say that Jesus was the sad man. He's the truer and better Jeremiah, the prophet, who in the Old Testament was called the weeping prophet. Jesus is our truer and better David. Jesus is our truer and better Jeremiah, the sad man. He's brokenhearted because of the sorrows that he saw in this world and the sorrows of sin that he carried to the cross. Hebrews 4.15 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Why? So he could die a sinless death for us on the cross. And this was true in every stage of, of Jesus' life. Sadness marked every stage of his life. His birth, remember the, the tragic part of the Christmas story, uh, the night Jesus was born, around the time Jesus was born, Herod had all the, the children in Bethlehem, two and under, killed by the, hand, the hands of his soldiers. I wonder how that affects human psyche. You know, I, wonder, I wonder how that affected Jesus, knowing that he was sort of the one, the cause of the death, you know, the Holocaust that came to Bethlehem. And, uh, and he was also the one, the, the one that was saved for his father's purposes. I wonder how that, that affected his psyche. You know, he was the sad man. He was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. His life was marked by sadness. Jesus' father Joseph died when he was a teenager. 
when, when Jesus was a teenager. His family knew Roman oppression, and Jesus in his life was mocked, betrayed by his friends, and persecuted. He was the sad man. How about the cross, the end of his life? The cross was the most brutal, humiliating way that a man in that uh, humiliating way that a man in that day could die. He was as one from whom men hide their faces. You know what that really is a picture of? And we talked about this a few weeks ago, early in, in the Gospel of Mark. That's kind of a picture of being a leper. That's how they would treat lepers. They didn't, it was like, yuck, I don't want to look at that. It's just gross. The skin, you know, the skin is being eaten away. That Maybe their nose fell off or their ears aren't. It's just like, yuck, I want to hide my face from that disgusting uh, person. And it's like, that's... that's that's, that's what marked Jesus' life. That's what marked his death. He was like one from whom men hide their faces. It's like spiritually, he became a leper for us he, as he took our sin in himself on the cross. Why? Why did Jesus come like this? Why, why was he the sad man? Why did he come in such humble circumstances? Why, why did God choose the Messiah to be so unlikely in this way? Number one, so that nobody can say, he didn't come for me. Nobody can say that. Nobody living on the streets of Clarksville, you know, nobody living uh, under a bridge downtown, uh, nobody, uh, you know, suffering sickness or disease or betrayal or any kind of trial. Nobody can say, he didn't come for me. You can't say that. He understands. There's that song few years ago by Joan Osborne. What if God was one of us, just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home? You know, I mean, it's it's catchy song. And, and really, if you don't understand Christ, the song makes sense. You know, how can God ask us to live our lives a certain way uh, and, and, you know, to follow him or to be joyful or happy in any way when when he doesn't know what it's like to be one of us. He doesn't know how hard it is down here. And the answer, of course, is, uh, Ms. Osborne, that he was one of us. And he does understand the stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Because Jesus said, foxes have holes and, holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was that stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Nobody can say he didn't come for me. Why was Jesus the sad man? Why did he come like this? So nobody can say, he doesn't understand. He was tempted in all manner, such as we are, and yet without sin. Third reason that he came like this is so we, so we could see what God is like. That God has a humble heart. Can you believe it? He doesn't have to. He's God. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. God has a humble heart. More humble than any of us in this world. We're all like people strive and strain for power and their own glory and they'll kill people for it. They're trying to become God. But what God is actually like is he has a humble heart. Sad heart. A broken heart. For the lost sinners in this world. And I'm not just talking about those people over there. I'm talking about this guy right here. 
I'm talking about that person right there. We all need grace. We all need Jesus. We all need this unlikely Messiah. How do we apply this message? Two simple thoughts. Number one, open your heart. Open your heart to the unlikely Messiah. Open your heart. Who has believed our report? Maybe you say, I believe. I'm a believer. I believe that he came for me. I believe the cross was for me. I believe it was my sin that he died for. And accept this unlikely Messiah as your Messiah, as your King. Number two, I want to encourage you to be content and trust God in the humble circumstances you may find yourself in. You don't like your circumstances. You wouldn't have picked this for yourself. But you know what? God did, just like he picked the context of Christ's life and he picked the context of millions of believers, millions of God's people who have lived and walked this earth before you and I. And they learned to trust God and be content in their circumstances and find his grace in their hour of need. And you can too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love in Christ. Help us, Lord, to trust Jesus as our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, our treasure. I pray also you'd help us to be content in our circumstances and to learn to trust you until we see uh, the root and the plant and the fruit come out of our dry ground, because that's your promise, that we would bear fruit that remains and bear the fruit of the Spirit as we live lives of trust and faith in you. We thank you that you chose the foolish and the weak, because otherwise we'd all be disqualified. We give you glory, and we remember that Jesus is enough. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.